Talk, you'll occasionally find our guests turning history teachers. And in Your Money Today, Carolyn Wright finds out why it's worth them doing that and why you should be doing the similar thing with your kids. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. When looking at what's happening in the financial world today, many of our experts on Money Talk refer to past events as case studies when considering what might happen next. But not all of us are up to date on our economic history. And even more of us might have trouble understanding events that we didn't actually experience ourselves and then find it even harder to explain to our kids. I'm joined today by Will Rainey, who's an award-winning author and blogger at Blue Tree, who specialises in teaching families about finances. Thank you for joining me, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. So let's kick off with a look at why you think it's so important to teach kids about economic history and how can you make it fun and easy to grasp? Okay, I know it's a challenging topic, but teaching kids about these kind of past experiences means that when they become adults, they're going to not experience things for the first time. So for example, many adults today might invest for the first time and they invest with quite a bit of money but then an economic shock happens the stock market falls and it's the first time that they've really experienced it and they can get overexcited or panic too much but i think if we teach kids about this as they're growing up and teach them about past events when they start investing and looking after their own money as adults they'll kind of refer back to oh this thing happens before or i know what happens this is expected to happen in some kind of context so when they're going forward they're a lot more prepared and i think that's going to be such an advantage relative to most adults today who are kind of thinking about their money for the first time or investing for the first time and yeah everything kind of in the economy seems to go in cycles so it's well worth doing it that way (laughs) and to your second point about how to make it interesting so one of the bits i do with my kids and try and recommend is get children to think of money like seeds and they can give those seeds away and that's like spending But if they keep some of those seeds and even better plant some of them, they'll kind of grow into trees. And that planting is kind of investing or finding ways to make that money grow. And then over time, they're growing these trees and growing this kind of financial forest, which is engaging and fun. But also you can then help them understand about the storms that come along. So these are like the economic crisis that come and go and those trees get broken. But over time, we know that trees grow back bigger and stronger. And that's exactly how we should think about our money. And if they've had this like many years of growing up, seeing their trees growing, but some some storms kind of breaking some branches, but growing back stronger, they're going to be so much more prepared and ready for the world and kind of getting engaged because then they can start to ask questions. What does it mean when you plant this? What is investing or what does it mean when these storms come along? That is such a lovely analogy. And I think you've you've got it so right that that's something that's really easy for kids to understand and, and get to grips with. So let's talk about something that loads of our experts have been going on about on the show recently, which was the 2008 financial crisis. How would you explain that as one of those storms, I guess? Yeah, no, it's a great topic. So the first bit about the financial crisis, it started with housing and mortgages. First of all, for my daughters, we kind of had a little bit of a refresh about houses and mortgages. So even though my daughters are eight and 10 years old, they had a little concept of that. And we use, again, the the tree analogy. So we say a house or a property is like a purple tree, a big purple tree. But around it is these kind of red bushes, and that's the mortgage. And ultimately, what we want to do is kind of cut away at those red bushes. So you've just got this perfectly nice purple tree. So you understand this concept that you need to borrow money to buy these big houses. And so we then started this conversation about the financial crisis by saying, 
how do you reckon the mortgage companies make money? And so I said, they lend money to the people to buy their houses and ultimately they get the money back with a little bit of extra. So that's their profit. But the only way they make profit is make sure that people do pay back their money. So they'll do this whole review to see who's a good lender. So if they want a big house, they need to have lots of money saved up already and they need to make sure they've got a nice job to pay back that's coming through. So they do all these checks and balances and that's how they worked. But then in about the 1970s, something else was introduced. These investment banks would come to the mortgage companies and say, oh, we'll take all of your mortgages and we'll give you your profit. Because what we're going to do is going to take all those mortgages and essentially package them up and going to give them to the public so people can invest in them. So that means that as long as people keep paying back their mortgages, then the people who are investing are going to make money and that's going to be fine. And actually that worked out really, really well. And I said to my daughters, as long as people kept paying back the mortgages, everyone's happy. House prices were going up. There's no risk to the mortgage companies because they've given their mortgages away. And all of these mortgages have been packaged up and it's great. And the chances that one mortgage doesn't pay back is quite small. But the chances of lots of them not paying back is, is incredibly small. And this worked for many, many years. But then people started to get a bit greedy because they said, this is so good. We want more of this. We're making lots of money from this. How do we do more? And so the mortgage companies were like, well, okay, we can just give you some more mortgages. And so what they did for that is to say, well, there's no risk for us because we're going to give the mortgage to someone else and they're going to take the risk. So it makes it nice and simple. We'll just give more mortgages away. We won't be as stringent. So even if they don't have as much money or don't earn as much money, we'll still give them a mortgage. And the investment banks were very, very happy as well because they had more mortgages that they could then sell. And again, for many years, this worked even though it was based on this risk that was starting to brew up. But as house prices kept going up, everyone was kind of happy and it was kind of working. But underneath, there was this risk that was going on. And it wasn't until, as we know, in the early 2000s, things started to change. Two things started to happen. One, there was too many homes. They just kept building, building, because the house price was going up. So then house prices didn't go up by so much. But also interest rates started to go up and people couldn't start to pay back their mortgages. And especially as some people, because these mortgage companies were just wanted so many mortgages, they were giving people two mortgages on their properties. So someone was going to them and saying, oh, interest rates have gone up. I can't afford to pay back my mortgage. And they're like, oh, just take out another mortgage and use that money to pay back the interest that you owe on the first one. So they're like, okay, brilliant. And they're like, as long as house prices still go up, at one point we can sell our house and we can pay it all back and everything will be good. But as house prices started to go down, mortgage company was saying, well, you can't borrow any more money now because you don't have the high enough house price. And soon enough, people started to not pay back their mortgage. Then more people started to not pay back their mortgages and more and more and more. And soon this, these risks that had been brewing for many, many years had just come to light. And soon enough, the mortgage company started to go bust. Some of the investment companies that are running these started to go bust. And everyone just got so scared. <laughs> and people were losing their homes, the stock market, because of these investment banks not having enough money now. They were going out of business. And so it just started to cause this whole turmoil, not just in America, but across the whole world. And so I think just starting with that, why mortgage companies what they were doing at the start, which was making sure they do a proper vetting, 
to then saying, well, actually, we just want to give as many mortgages as possible. That was the foundation. They got just, greedy, didn't they? They got so greedy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think about the lessons that everybody learnt from this. Yeah, so there's many lessons from different angles. So the first one is people are always going to be greedy out there. It's a sad state of affairs, but there's always going to be this. So we need to make sure that people have emergency funds, that they always look to have that money. So if not having all their money invested in the stock market, having some invested, but making sure you always have that security, such that if there is a downturn or if you do lose your job, you have that security. The second piece is when some of these investments are getting created, if something sounds too good to be true, and at some points, the investments that these investment banks were offering to people, they had very low risk, had very nice returns, so much better than putting your money in the bank and less risky than putting your money in the stock market. And as I say to my daughters, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And even though at the start, it seemed very robust as they were doing more and more and offering better and better rates and returns, but was saying there's no risk because they were saying, oh, if the house markets always go up, then it will always be fine. And I think those are the kind of key messages that well, I've been talking to my daughters, but also from the investment point of view, we, we still invest for ourselves and our daughters. And we say, even though there's this greed and there's going to be these events, they do come about. And since the 2008 financial crisis, the market has recovered. It's had a few ups and downs along the way, but the key point is these are always going to come and go. We have to be ready for them and understand that don't panic <laughs> at that time, but understand that in the future there's going to be more and more of these events. So the likelihood that they will happen again is, is always there. But is there anything that you would say to your kids about, say, rules changing and, and how governments kind of step in in these situations to help minimise the risk of it happening again or it not happening quite so bad the next time around? So, yeah, it's a bit of a political one, this, because ultimately to stop these happening in the future, we need new regulations. However, unfortunately, the companies such as the investment banks have so much money that they can have huge influence on the governments to make sure that they don't make it hard for them to make money. <laughs> and so the amount of rule changes that happen, even after these events, even after 2008, are very, very minimal. And so the likelihood that they're going to get away with it again in the future, and it can happen again in the future, is a, a possibility. But I'm hoping over time, slowly but surely, new and new rules will come in to make sure that the greed is managed and not overly exploited. And I think that's just something that we need to be aware of. It's going to happen. It's going to keep happening. But we need to make sure we're looking after our own money, not expecting the government to come in and take over and look after it for us, unfortunately. Maybe those well-informed kids will become well-informed adults. And who knows, exactly. they may end up the bankers or the regulators of the future preventing it from happening again. Oh, I really do hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. That's Will Rainey, who's author and blogger at Blue Tree. Thank you very much.